Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Adaptation Station podcast. I wanted to let you guys know right at the beginning that this is the longest episode I've put out to date. I typically don't do episodes that are quite this long. This one is 38 minutes long, but the reason it's so long is because this is a round table. I have done other episodes where I have several guests on, but as you know, it's usually guest one talks and then guest two talks. In this episode, it was a roundtable discussion. I brought in the contingency click. So there are three different people we'll hear from. All four of us talked together. Their expertise ranges from BCBAs, special ed teachers, RBTs. And the four of us had a fantastic conversation about ABA, about ABA in the school, about ABA in private practice. And it just is full of so much information that I couldn't even cut any of it. So I just left it all up. This is a great one to listen to over winter break. If you're just curious about ABA, again, in the school, in the center, anything like that, I hope you guys enjoy and we'll jump right into them introducing themselves. Um, I'm Stacy. Um, I am a BCBA currently. Um, I work in a center home hybrid. I used to be a special ed teacher for a few years before I got into um, this world, but currently not in the classroom teaching, but in more of an ABA field. Cool. I'm Kayla, Kayla H. So I currently work at a school and I'm an, um, an ABA therapist at the school. So I don't have my master's degree yet, but I'm in the process of it. <laughs> so hopefully soon I'll be a BCBA. And I'm Kayla M. And I'm a BCBA at a school, um, basically the elementary schools um, for kiddos diagnosed with autism and other socio-emotional needs. And all are three of you in the same area? Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And where is that? We just well probably because we've had to do all of our podcasts via Zoom because of the world right now. But yeah, we all actually. So we started this podcast, our podcast, the Contingency Clip due to the fact that we all worked at a center together um, and kind of became friends there, co-workers there, and then all actually transitioned out of there into new positions. Um, and then when quarantine happened, we were like, you know what we're talking about, let's start a podcast. So like probably so many, many other people, but um, we all kind of had that love of like the aesthetically pleasing stuff, um, you know, just like making ABA, we always say like making ABA relatable to not only people in the field, but also people in the classroom. So funny enough, a little bit about my background and kind of why I wanted to do this whole series. I had taken some behavior classes classes in my master's program and I loved it. So I enrolled in an ABA graduate certificate and then I had a BCBA come to a meeting, an IEP meeting, and it was terrifying. And she was basically speaking a completely different language. And I had no idea what she was saying. And I remember walking out of that meeting and being like, I can't ever be a BCBA. She might as well have been speaking Russian. And I was just so intimidated that I just dropped out of the program. And then I didn't go back and finish it for like two years. So I think a lot of classroom teachers feel that, especially something as simple as when we're saying man, and they just don't know what that means. So I really wanted to try and do a series that can just make it be less intimidating and more relatable. And I feel like you all are like right there with me in that role. So I know one of the things that you guys wanted to talk about was reinforcement. So the value of reinforcement, how to use it, what it is, do's and don'ts, things like that. So you guys are free to talk about whatever you want regarding that. 
It's so hard. We're so used to now always not speaking over each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, well, the other girls obviously are in schools and I obviously was in a school when I was teaching and then doing a lot of collaboration. I think reinforcement, I agree with you that we can sound completely intimidating, but I think our big thing is trying not to be that way, like speaking behaviorally, but also making sure that everyone understands because if we just come in with terms, we just sound ridiculous and no one's going to ever do anything that we're saying. Um, so it's in terms of like reinforcement, I think that um, it doesn't always need to be, everyone is always like, oh, you just get a reward for participating or, oh, you just get a, you know, you get some, but understanding like the value of appropriate reinforcement. Do you mm -hmm. agree with me? Yeah. And just that the goal with our reinforcement is to increase the behavior that you want. So, you know, if kids are appropriately sitting, if they're raising their hand and not calling out, like stuff like that, it could be something as like eye contact to be, or like a thumbs up. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, that tangible sticker or candy or anything like that. It could just be, you know, a simple verbal praise statement. Right. And that's something you would obviously like determine based upon like knowing your students because like you're there with them every day. And I think too, like we always say like, what's that saying? Like the squeaky wheel gets the oil or the grease or whatever. So it's like, it's easy. And I'm right there with every teacher in America when it used to be, you know, I worked in a K, K, well, I had K to 21 in my classroom. It was a really weird year in South Carolina. Um, but it's easy to like react or have reactions to things that are bad for lack of a better word, but like a corrective statement rather than just like, hey, like, thanks for doing what you're supposed to be doing. Thanks for sitting in your seat. Like, catching them when they're being good sounds corny, but it's so true. Yeah, I would say, like, some, so if we say the definition of reinforcement is because we want to increase the behavior, sometimes we can ac accidentally reinforce things as well. I think mm -hmm. that's where it gets kind of tricky. Um, so typically when I explain things ever, I use examples because that's how I best learn. So an example I always think of for that is say a student who all he wants is attention and he's like standing on a table. If you say, get off that table, mm -hmm. you think you're doing a corrective statement that will decrease his behavior, but it's quite the opposite because he got that attention he wanted. So now you're reinforcing it. And now he's going to say, man, standing on tables, that's how I get the attention. It's kind of, you have to kind of think about um, what you're trying to reinforce and how you're going to approach that. I think it's breaking a mindset too, like remembering that negative attention for lack of, you know, like negative attention, that reprimand is still attention. Mm -hmm. Like, even though like you and I are saying like, I wouldn't want to get yelled at. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just whatever, if you wanted attention, you got it. I mean, breaking that like mindset of, I reprimanded them like this was supposed to stop the behavior. It's like exactly what Kayla just said. Nope, it's gonna, they're climbing up on that table again when they need you because you're busy with 20 other kids. You stop what you're doing mm -hmm. because you have to. And that's the tough part with like what we do versus a school setting. I mean, you're taking care of X amount of kids and you don't have that one-on-one -on -one attention to be able to say, okay, I'm not gonna give that reinforcement. I'm gonna ignore that behavior. I'm gonna put that behavior in extinction. I'm gonna do all those things but you think of safety and you think of other kids and you think of all the other stuff you have to get done. So I think that that makes it more difficult too mm -hmm. in a classroom setting. For sure. I want to throw two things out to you guys that I hear a lot of buzz about with reinforcement. So it's just your genuine opinion. How mm -hmm. do you guys feel about the use of edible reinforcement? 
Oh, we've had this, we've had this conversation once before. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who wants to go first? I mean, my, oh, go ahead. My thing is kind of like, I've really have changed opinions over time because I've, I started out working with older students. Then I was with, I was at a center base. So I was with really young kids who were using edibles all the time. And then recently when I transitioned back to a school setting, I was with older students again. And, um, I just had one student that really kind of changed my opinion on it. He was older and for him, we didn't have many reinforcers, which I mean, my goal would also be to like find more things that are reinforcing to him than food, but it was mainly tickles and food. And in a classroom setting with other students, other peers, it felt more appropriate for me to like hand him a piece of granola bar for doing great work than tickle him and mm -hmm. like, you know, get them all amped up in the middle of like morning meetings. So for me, I feel like I'm, I'm good with edibles, but we, I always like to work away from them as well. Like I want to work towards like other reinforcing things. Yeah. I think that that's the key. Like if, if it's reinforcing, go for it, but your goal should always be, you know, finding other more socially significant and acceptable, appropriate reinforces for them. And ultimately what you'd want to do is just like your praise is enough or their intrinsic motivation is enough for them to be doing something. But if you have to start with an edible, cause that's all they like and you know, it's appropriate for the situation, go for it. I think it's a plan, having a plan in place to like all what you guys said, like making it more socially significant, making it more intrinsic, all those things, but having a fading plan for sure mm -hmm. so that you're not just getting stuck in that edible, like downfall of it's always the only thing and then the other thing to kind of piggyback off of what Kayla was saying having having that plan but also trying to then work on reinforcer expansion so like a lot of times you hear people say like well he doesn't like anything else he doesn't like he doesn't he's not interested in anything else so we just have like we have to take that into our hands and be like okay what can we do to get him interested in something else um to make it more appropriate because like I don't like a lot of stuff either but you know or kids that are like I don't like that food or you know I have a fiance that's like I don't like that and you're like did you try it or did you just <laughs> say you hated it like you didn't know and and another thing too side note disliking something you cannot say you're allergic to it because allergies are not dislikes because you guys got one too so yeah having a plan and like mm -hmm. but I do understand when teachers say like well for my classroom we're not going to do edibles because sometimes it can open a whole can of worms of this kid's earning edibles but this kid doesn't oh and then we have a food stealer over here so you always got to keep them on this shelf like i can totally get like just having a stance like that you know so and allergies now in classrooms and all of that stuff too is i think that that's where expansion of like a repertoire of different reinforcers comes into play yeah i think that expansion can lead right into my other concern I hear a lot is, you know, we have a five-year-old that loves Elmo and then they're 14 and they still love mm -hmm. Elmo. So talking about age-appropriate reinforcers versus things that are just genuinely reinforcing, how do you guys approach that? I have a story that kind of like, there's always those stories that like change your mind of things, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. I worked before I was ever BCBA, before I was even a teacher in SPED, anything. I worked at a summer camp for kids with disability for 12 years of my life. Like from when I was like a, just a junior counselor all the way up to like almost running the camp. And there was a little boy and he came in. He was the cutest little thing in the world. He was ginger red hair. He had Down syndrome. He was super social and lovable, but he was tiny and cute. And all the little staff would, he loved feet. 
and he would come up and he would like tickle your feet and put his hand like all this feet stuff and that and sit on your lap and everything was great and as the 12 years I worked there progressed you know he got bigger and he still loved the same things and of course it wasn't you know a strict ABA setting or like we weren't trying to change his behavior it was just summer camp but I just remember even back then saying like to the camp counselors when I became in charge like it's not cute anymore. Like it was never cute. Don't, ew, don't touch my feet. But also like, it's not cute anymore mm -hmm. and it's not appropriate. And he thinks it's fine because everyone lets him do it. So like coming up with like, the, you know, what's appropriate. It's not appropriate when he's 35 to go and sit in someone's lap and they're going to be like, what's happening? So just really looking at like what we're using as interest and reinforcers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you like Elmo when you're five, great, that's appropriate. If you like Elmo when you're 14, great. But like, let's make it an appropriate way. So maybe you're not like only watching Elmo when you're at, you know, out in public and wearing an Elmo shirt and doing all this thing and drawing attention to yourself, but maybe you're learning to like do it in another way. Or, I mean, I, that might be a bad example, but I think just like, yeah, social significance is key. Yeah. I think with that situation, like if it's something that they adore and, and that's what's reinforcing them, I would never take something sure. away from a kid who uh -huh. like, that's what they like. But I would also try to teach something or expand his reinforcers so that maybe like that's like a home thing or like in your room like you can mm -hmm. sit there and watch Elmo but like when we're at school like let's try to find stuff that like our friends will like and kind of just make it more again like everything in our field like socially significant socially appropriate um just because we, we don't want them to get bullied and we don't want you know them to not be able to make friends or anything like that but if they love it I would never take it away just right. training it to be a little bit more socially acceptable mm -hmm. right Right, let's see what our second question was. Oh, why don't we talk about, okay, so we're saying the word reinforcement, but let's talk a little bit more about it's not always a tangible thing mm -hmm. that they're mm -hmm. earning and holding in their hands. So what are some other types of reinforcement that teachers could try and use? So some reinforcement could just be verbal praise, um, specifically like specific praise saying exactly what they're doing right that you're loving. So not just being like, hey, great, great work. like. I love that you used a full sentence right there. That was so wonderful. Um, or even like outside of verbal praise, a break alone from mm -hmm. work is reinforcement. Like you did love so great. Right um, <laughs> with morning meeting, you get five minutes over, it, you know, doing what you want in the cool down corner or something. Um, you guys want to bounce yeah, on that? I mean, I think that we think of tangible things. We think of edible things. We think of that stuff, but like the behavior specific praise, like you said, um, is a big one and an easy one for people to do, right? Just like shouting mm -hmm. out. Um, I worked in a classroom once or collaborated with a classroom once where the teacher had these little cards that were like caught you being good cards and she didn't even have to say anything. She didn't even have to do anything. She literally would walk by and they had like a space on their desk and she would just put the card there and the kid knew like what I'm doing and I was what I'm supposed to be doing and they could like trade those in. It was a whole token economy, but like it's tangible, but also there was kind of just that, like, it's here, you know what it, we've already paired this with what it means, mm -hmm. um, and you can use it, and then I'm trying to think of, like, any other thing that, like, I mean, it might just be, like, social attention, like, maybe they yeah. just want to hang out with you, like, you know, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. they want to just be around you, or have a preferred seating, or I don't know, that yeah. kind of stuff, too. And every kid's going to find something reinforcing differently, like, just because one kid wants to hang out with you, as reinforcement there could be another kid that's like oh no 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 no, this is actually not what i want like my yeah, reinforcement would be be goodbye <laughs> yeah like some i mean 
at uh, my last job, we were really taught to during um, breaks for the kids, like if they earned a break to enrich it and like try to play with them and like be involved with it, which I, I totally love. But there are kids that like on their breaks, it is way more reinforcing for them to be able to like do their own thing, do like their STEM, for example. And like, they don't want you involved in it. Right. So it's, it really, like you'll know your students and know what they find reinforcing. Um, mm -hmm. So they'll all be different. I'm going to throw a scenario out to you guys. And it's okay. a tough one, so if you need a minute to process it, but it's something that I really ran into as a classroom teacher. So I have a child in a token economy, and they've chosen what they want to do. Maybe they want to go for a walk. Well, they earn all their tokens, and I don't have a staff member to take them mm -hmm. on a walk. So then I can't follow through. And then I felt like I lost the value of the token economy because they're like, mm -hmm you don't care about what I want at all. And so then I know I struggled with, well, how do I effectively use a token economy when I can't necessarily make everything happen the same way I can in a private ABA center? Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll go. I think um, a couple things, making sure, and this happens at home, this happens with everyone. I mean, that follow through is, mm -hmm. and that immediacy is so valuable that one, I mean, and obviously this is kind of broad, but like making sure that anything that you put on there are things that are available are going to be available. So like maybe if you know that it's wishy-washy that you're going to have someone to go on a walk with or, yeah. or making sure you have the snack that you're offering, making sure that the internet is working to have the iPad game before offering those choices. And that obviously, you know, that sounds easy, but then if that's not available, also I, I always, when working with the token economy, always parallel to that work on like accepting no or accepting mm -hmm. choice making. So like, Hey, you picked the iPad before I checked, before we started, the internet was working, it was charged, everything was great. You earned it. Now it's dead or it's someone threw it against the wall and it's broken. So being able to then accept that, Nope, this isn't an option anymore. What else can we do? So like making that second choice, I think, cause if you, if you really nail home that, skill as well, like work on that in, like in parallel with the other skill, you kind of can say like, look, I don't have a staff right now. You know, if you have a kid that can, you know, you can have that conversation with, but we can make another choice. So making sure that they can make another choice, making sure you have other choices that are just as valuable. Um, and then obviously just like checking stuff first as, as best you can, but life happens and your teachers are busy. Yep. I think off of that too is when the student makes a different choice, praising them for that, praising them for being flexible. Um, especially when you have a student that doesn't really engage in a lot of challenging behavior, it's easy to be like, oh, sorry, we can't do that right now, do something else. And then they do something else, like a perfect angel, and they're not given the credit that they deserve. Like, I still think we should give them lots of reinforcement and praise for being so flexible. And then they're also being a good model for other students. So you could say, wow, I love how like so-and-so wasn't able to go on their walk, but they chose the iPad instead, like announced it to the class, I think is kind of cool. But yeah, I think that was a good answer, Stacey. And also like that just reminded me like having differential reinforcement that we talk mm -hmm. about too. Like, hey, you made another choice. You get, you know what? You picked the iPad instead of the walk. You can have an extra minute. Like thank yeah. you for being flexible. Like making sure they know like that was a big deal. So you get something better or more of value of reinforcer. Absolutely. And then the next thing we're going to dive into, I actually just put a podcast episode out today about it. It's all about the functions of behavior. So mm -hmm. it's important to know the function of behavior, but I think a lot of teachers don't even realize that that is a thing or that there might be different functions of behavior or how to know what they are or 
how to work with them. So I know it's a big question, but anybody wants to dive in. So many. I mean, once you think this way, you'll never think another way, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess like obviously listen to the podcast that you just put out. <laughs> but um, I think to start, you just realize that like every thing happens because of something like pretty much everything happens because of something else. And a lot of times you'll hear people say like, he hit me for no reason. And we just had this conversation the other day about like, it may have felt like no reason, especially in a classroom when you're busy and you're doing this and you're doing that. But I always like to say, I don't, I try to teach my staff and stuff that I work with that instead of saying like for no reason mm -hmm. to tell me like, I don't know what the reason was because mm -hmm. there was one, we just, we don't really know. So maybe then we can sit down and say like, okay, like let's try to figure it out. Um, you guys want to say like what they are? Yeah. Um, so I think it's like obviously the epitome of like how we would do anything that's determined the function of it. And I think that a lot of teachers, if um, they knew these like little tips, you know, it would make their lives so much easier. So mm -hmm. there's escape. It's when you want to get away from something. So like, say you put like down a worksheet and the kid's like not happening and they engage in one of their, you know, undesired be uh, behaviors. And then there's attention. Um, that's a big one. One of my favorite ones to work with, mm -hmm. you know, um, they just want your attention. They'll, they'll do anything to get it. Um, and then there is sensory, which is, I think, a confusing one sometimes because it's basically anything that's like independent of somebody else, they can do it by themselves. So usually in schools, um, they classify as like stimming, so like they're flapping or they're like making a, a noise with their mouth, um, anything like that. And which one have I said? Tangible. 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 The one that we were literally just talking about. Um, <laughs> obviously getting an item um, or activity, you know, that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it means I'm gonna go bolt out of this classroom because you know I really want that toy that's in Miss So-and-so's room and you're just like cool great <laughs> yeah and then remembering that it might not be clear-cut and be one that it can be multiply controlled or start out as one and end in another I used to have a kiddo that would start out as escape because any demand that was placed nope too hard or don't want to do it and it would quickly turn into an attention maintained behavior mm -hmm. because the whole staff came in and she was on a table and we were all going to rush in and they didn't understand. They're like, well, she's got to do it right now. And it's like, well, right now we're reinforcing her being on the table because she wants us to give her this attention. And now she's not only gotten out of doing this worksheet for 30 minutes while we watched her on the table, she's gotten all of our attention for that entire time. So I think that like taking ABC data and seeing what happened right before, what the behavior looked like, and then what happened after is really helpful for BCBAs and for teachers. Um, just knowing, just seeing that pattern, like, oh, every time we give her a math worksheet or every time we give him, you know, the demand to clean up, it's causing this behavior and this is what it looks like. And then what do we do? And I, a lot of times parents, teachers, they, they want to write that they did the right thing, right? Like, <laughs> I'm supposed to ignore the behavior and only tell him every 30 seconds to do whatever. And they'll write that. Like I did, the, I followed the behavior plan and I, I can know for a fact that like, that's not what happened. And I, I'm always like, just tell me what you did wrong because then I can fix it. Just don't be perfect because I get it. Like it's easier just to be like, stop, clean it up, you know, or whatever, or just like clean it up yourself because he's screaming and you have 40 other kids to deal with. But I think really understanding the ABCs of the behavior of the data and all that stuff will help you understand the functions. And then once you see things, you can sit down and say like, Oh, like that's why it's happening. And always here's a tip that I always say, 
ignore first and take a second because it's better to not respond than to respond with the incorrect like intervention due to the function because like you just ignore it and you say oh this is attention then you can continue to put it on extinction or if it's you know for escape you have to just like just take a minute and don't say anything and kind of like err on the side of ignoring because I feel like that's helped me in the past mm -hmm. um and I think just we're saying ABC data as if, you know, everybody knows what it is. So that is something that usually we have um, people either take like a narrative format, they write literally what happened um, or a structured format that kind of like has like a list that you can choose from. So like the A is antecedent, what happened beforehand, the behavior obviously is what they're doing. And it is important to say exactly what they're doing because sometimes behaviors can look similar and they're actually different functions. So I like to know like the specific, like don't just tell me like he was like having a tantrum, like what kind of did the tantrum look like? And then consequence is what you did about it. Um, and yeah. consequence right. is not negative. It's just, oh yeah, it's literally just what you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happened? Like, did you make him do the worksheet? Did you let him take a break in the beanbag in the back of the room or, you know, stuff like that? Yeah. Cause I feel like I talked to teachers and they get stuck and be like, I didn't give him a consequence. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you did. We're not <laughs> saying that you punished him. We're just saying that you, there was a consequence there. So a lot of times ABA language is just a little bit. Different. Oh yeah. It, it yeah. sounds so scary. Like <laughs> yeah. enforcement, you know, extinction, like, yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds terrifying. Like we're bullies, but speaking of extinction, what the heck is that? This one, big one. It's, I like to say that it's basically the opposite of reinforcement because you're not reinforcing anything. Okay. See, but first it goes back to, you have to determine the function. So you have to figure out why are they doing it? Are they doing it for escape? Are they doing it for attention? Are they doing it to access something? And then you need to make sure that it basically doesn't happen. You need to make sure that they are not reinforced by whatever behavior they're engaging in. And, and so uh, when we say we're putting it on extinction, that's mm -hmm. what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not reinforcing it. And it, you know, creates this beautiful, beautiful <laughs> concept that I love called the extinction burst, where it will always, always, always get way worse, significantly worse, longer the magnitude will increase like it will be tenfold but then it's just gonna decrease and i just love seeing behavior data like that i love showing my staff that it's just good stuff good stuff yeah. getting through getting through the hard part before yeah. it gets better and that's why sometimes we come out as bad people when we walk in and say i want you to do this and then teachers are like are you kidding me it's yeah. getting so bad what you're doing is not working you guys stink and then we're like we swear it's gonna work and if it doesn't work then it's not working but if it if it goes the way it should go it should go like it's, supposed, says. it's supposed to happen this is yeah. supposed to happen it's a good sign but it it's, it's not easy to tell someone that though when they're going through it but exactly. it is mm -hmm. and oh, I sorry oh go no go for it kayla it's just important that everyone's on the same page. oh yeah 100 particularly talking like a school setting because not only do you have like yeah. teachers in the classroom you have paraprofessionals you have extracurricular teachers like lunch monitors um so kids. Have, yeah other kids like say you have a student who um like says hi every 10 seconds which doesn't sound like a bad behavior but it's it's just like something you would like to reduce. Like exactly. I said hi back to you, why are we still saying hi? Mm -hmm. To then be like, all right, let's put this on extinction. We say hi once and then we're done. Mm -hmm. That is gonna go through such a big burst. He's gonna, the reason the burst happens is because they think, well, yeah, I've, yeah. I've always gotten a response when I yeah. do this. Let's just try it again or try something different and see what's right. gonna happen. Right. And it's just so hard to get everyone on the same page. They go to the lunchroom and the oh, lunch yeah. monitor 
and say, hi, 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 back to them for now. Like, <laughs> it's so hard in a school setting. Um, but, and you're standing there going, don't say hi. And you're yeah, the bad exactly. guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, one thing that I wish I had done more as a classroom teacher is been more honest with the BCBAs I was working with on when I couldn't feasibly do something. Because yeah. I was, you know, was like, at the bottom of my notes to discuss. I'm in yes. a huge plan and then I'll go back to the class and there's no way I could follow through, but I was never honest about it. So the BCBA is like, oh, everything's great. And things are like crumbling in my classroom. And I go back and I'm like, it's fine. And it, <laughs> it made it harder for me. Didn't help the students. So I think that's a big thing is if you're working with the BCBA or really anybody and there's a plan and you know, for whatever reason, you cannot follow the plan, say it right there. So that way the whole team can shift and support each other. Yeah, right. that's one of my biggest things that like, I always want somebody to tell me, like, if you can't do this, let me know, and I can and will change it for you. It's, it's something that, like, our, it's one of our, um, like, tenets of ABA is, like, parsimony. Like, the easiest thing is going to be, like, best for everybody involved. And mm-hmm. so if you can't do it, doesn't make any sense to you, literally just let me know. I won't be offended. Like, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's easy to, we've talked before about it's easy, especially even, like, out of the classroom in the positions we're in now like being a supervisor with staff it's like easy to say like okay I want you to run like mm-hmm. this protocol and take this data and like comment on this and take this ABC data and blah, blah blah and run this and do that it's easy to say unless you're doing it so like I mean I think and that I think that's another reason why some teachers are apprehensive to have someone come in and say like okay we're gonna do all these things because they're like who are you and like you don't even know what I'm doing all day and mm-hmm. so I always say, I swear I do. I've done your job and it is harder than, and that's why I don't do it anymore. So um, yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. And like, we have to then take what we do and what we know works and like mold it into something that can happen for a classroom full of kids and, and you know, one or two people that need to do that. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent making sure that you let us know because like Kayla said, we're not offended. We want to make it work, but it seems mm-hmm. if someone's telling us it works, we have to believe it. So mm-hmm. And especially when BCBAs are coming in the classroom, you as a teacher might be working with five different BCBAs from five different agencies for five different kids. But that BCBA has no idea that you're trying to run four very different plans at the same time. And so you have to be the one to say like, hey, this is just too much and I I need some help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been in three different settings so far in my career. <laughs> like I've been in a private ABA school. I've been in a center base with early intervention and now I'm in public school. And I, I mean, public school definitely has its like limitations of how mm-hmm. ABA can go. Like, I mean, like you said, like a teacher can only do so much. And that's, I, I would want more BCBAs to recognize that and like realize coming into the classroom um, maybe have like a better perspective on it. Um, because like you said, if they're coming from different agencies, I just can't imagine like, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, cause I guess I'm thinking of it as the perspective of like, like Kayla M, like you work in that school. So like you're there often you understand, right. but I can't really imagine like, I'd like to hear from like BCBAs who have the experience of like being part of an agency and coming in, not saying that they don't know what a school is like. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting to think like, when you're consulting with people, what their background is and what their perspectives are. And that's why we have to be so open. We have to be like, oh, wait, hold up. <laughs> you don't understand. At 12.15, we have lunch at this time. And we'll, yeah. You just have to be honest and like mm-hmm. talk about it. You can see I work, at, I work under three BCBAs and none of them have been in a school setting as a teacher. And so 
we've had a lot of interesting conversations in the last year and I'll hear them complaining about teachers and I'm like, can I just give the other perspective? Yeah. And I've seen mm -hmm. in one of them a big shift where she's like, oh, and then of course the pandemic happened, so it stopped. But you know, in November she was like, oh, and like we actually had more open conversations, but it just took somebody who had been in both worlds to say like, it might not be that they are ignoring you. It might be they just can't. And so right. mm -hmm. that's I think that's great. Little, Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I think that like, that's one of my biggest strengths is having been in both worlds. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a good way. Like when you started out saying like you went to an IEP meeting and were scared of the like PCBA, I literally love consulting with families and going and helping. Like when the agency I used to work for, we would go on IEP meetings with parents just to share like what they were doing in therapy and really work with it. And same, I'd walk in and they'd be like, who's this girl? You know, like, why is she here? She's going to fight for these things we can't do here. And they were shocked because like I gave them so many ideas that we were working on. And it was like, if you have that collaboration and I could speak in their language, it was like the best thing that ever happened. So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to have both, but it's a, that's a hard job. Teaching is a hard job. Mm -hmm. The one thing I probably should have done at the beginning is I think a lot of people might not understand the difference between a BCBA versus an RBT versus a behavior therapist. Can, can you guys kind of explain the differences of those jobs for people? Kaylee, you want to go first with yours? Well, so I'm an ABA therapist, but basically... I feel like every school district, every placement kind of calls it something differently. Like I've been trained in ABA principles, so I can do ABA with students, but I still always have to like refer to the BCBA about um, like major changes or major behaviors um, that like we want to talk about. But I was an RBT, which is a registered behavior technician. And that just means that I passed um, the RBT exam and I was like supervised and have a certain amount of hours signed off. Uh, when I started at my new job, they didn't require that, so I didn't keep up with it. You guys want to say what BCBA stands for? And what a BCABA? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was a BCABA before I became a BCBA, and that just stands for Bird Board Certified Assistant Behavior Analyst um, through the board. And basically that's, um, I believe it's like an undergrad, you have to have an undergrad degree and you pass your board, still the same kind of test that everyone takes. You have supervision hours, of coursework and all that stuff. And then now Kayla and I are both BCBAs, mm -hmm. um, which is a board certified behavior analyst. And that means that you have um, a master's degree, you've done all your supervision with another BCBA as you were like learning um, your coursework, and then you passed the lovely board exam. Mm -hmm. Not fun. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna ask you guys another tough question. If I have to cut it out, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, let's say you're in a district and there are no BCBAs or behavioral people on in your whole district. So we're talking like the really small districts that maybe have three schools and they don't have anybody in a behavior role. And none of your families have BCBAs can you still be applying principles of ABA to your classroom? Like ethically? I mean, I, yeah, I, I would say yes, because I feel like the, like, as long as you're not like conducting like supervision and stuff, I feel like the, I feel like the principles of ABA, and this is kind of something we chatted about before too, are like, it's not just for kids on the spectrum. It's literally like you can ABA your dog. And yeah, like, I my dog. And like I do. And like your partner, like <laughs> to take out the trash. So I feel like, I feel like 
the principles of ABA should be implemented in classrooms across the board, especially if you don't have assistance outside. Caveat to that, done correctly. So if you don't have that BCBA coming in and doing supervision or checking in or implementing plans, like making sure that you are not going out of like your scope of practice to do that. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I for sure think that it can be, um, Right. Like yeah. I would absolutely like any of the, the basic principles, like reinforcement, like motivation, like all that stuff, absolutely go for it. But I think I would not feel comfortable and think it was unethical if like someone were to like try to conduct an FBA or, you know, make a specific protocol or intervention that they want somebody to fall. I wouldn't feel comfortable like in that aspect, just because it, it is a science, you know, it, it's a delicate systematic process and I would never want something to happen like to the child that like traumatizes them or anything like that, you know, um, cause like we're changing how they, they behave. Like that's a big, big deal. Um, right. but definitely like, I think every classroom should follow like the basic principles. Like, and I think a lot of, I mean, like when you look at like all the people that follow on Instagram, like these really great teachers and stuff, I feel like people are doing even if yeah. they don't know don't they're doing it yes so like like the token economies and like the reinforcers and like all that stuff and like providing like options and sensory things and I feel like um it's kind of happening without like being said exactly. like this is ABA but then that comes into like making sure that if you're gonna call it ABA mm-hmm. yeah um because I've also had people say like, oh, you're that person, they don't know anything about ABA. And they're like, oh, you're that person that makes kids sit in chairs and demands them to do things. And it's like, no, like not at all. And that was just coming from someone that didn't know what they were doing and calling it what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one really interesting thing. Even in my district now, all teachers do FBAs and BAPs and we don't have BCBAs. Oh, excuse me. And I work in a, <laughs> a um, pretty prominent district. So yeah. it's, interesting when I started meeting people who I have a friend she's like oh I can't do an FBA and I was like oh that was my responsibility like day one as a first year teacher do you feel like it's true now that you have background and like you know in the ABA world do you feel like it's truly an FBA or you're just like like they're calling it that you know what I mean more calling it that Mm -hmm. I think it's checking a box there's a file in the cumulative Mm -hmm. file that says FBA at the top of it but some of the interventions that I put into place my first year are ridiculous. Like, <laughs> we're never going to work. It was just more filling out the form. But. Which is sad because if they just had a BCBA, they could really have behavior change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And BCBAs who can, like, train teachers on how to do exactly. FBAs. Because yeah. teachers are, as we know, plenty, like, qualified and able to do it. Right. It's just that, like, you should be able to have guidance about it and training on it to feel confident. Mm -hmm. That's not their job to come out with that. They have 60 other jobs, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then you guys said in your message that you wanted to talk about group contingencies because you said that it was a great tool to use with classroom management. I think that group contingencies are easier, sometimes easier for teachers. And it kind of goes back to what we said in terms of like, Mm -hmm. it can be for everyone so some group contingencies are like I mean there's a bunch but like some that can work is like and and some teachers are doing them right like if everyone turns in their homework you're getting a pizza party you know or whatever um but like using some of them to motivate other kids I know for me like I always wanted to be the best one at everything so I definitely fall (laughs) fall short and have to always you know be a part of that group contingency but some kids don't really care but I mean setting up those in your classroom I think um, learning about group contingencies is something that can really help classroom management in my eyes. Yeah. 
Thank you again to the Contingency Click for coming on to my podcast. I am still learning so much about ABA myself that I had so many questions I wanted to ask them, and I appreciate them taking the time to talk it through with me. And I hope you guys found valuable tips in this episode. Again, I know it was a little bit longer than typical. This will not always be the way it is, but this one was so good I had to leave it. So I hope you guys loved it. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave me a rating and a review, and I will catch you in our next episode.